Hello and welcome to Glitch Report episode 33. My name is Nitwit. Thank you so much for stopping by, saying hi, kicking it with me today on the stream, the stream of dreams, the show of shows and everything in between. This is the number one video game news podcast in the world, as far as I'm concerned anyways. I've, you know, I've not received a plaque. I've not received an award, no statue, no trophy, um, not even a ribbon, not even a participation, you know, you know, medal or, or something like that. But um, yeah, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing until my greatness and my brilliance is, is recognized. And until then, I'm going to deliver nothing but straight fire. As it relates to the video game news, we have a big show for you today. Um, we're going to be talking about, uh, well, what are we going to be talking about? I got a list here of stuff. We're going to talk about DICE and, and the upcoming Battlefield single player campaign. Uh, Microsoft and Nintendo are cutting deals. Some Elden Ring news, some Angry Birds news, some Destiny 2, AEW, Fight Forever. Coming up later in the show, we're going to talk Atomic Heart. That is the hot new game out this week and so much more. Uh, but first, let's get into it with the biggest news of this week. Shinji Mikami is leaving Tango Gameworks. We have an update from Bethesda to go with it. Uh, Shinji Mikami, if you don't know, is the director of uh, Resident Evil, the first Resident Evil game, along with a variety of games. You know, Shinji Mikami has been with uh, Tango Gameworks, the company that he founded for quite some time. It's been 12 years uh, with, uh, with Tango Gameworks, and in that time period, uh, Shinji Mikami directed... Uh, the first Evil Within game um, and has kind of, you know, spearheaded uh, or helped spearhead some of the other projects, including Ghostwire Tokyo. And of course, this uh, this year's uh, 2023's hottest game or hottest surprise game, I should say, uh, Hi-Fi Rush. And um, that is all that we currently know is um, that they have ver uh, true achievements has uh, verified an email sent to ZeniMax employees by Bethesda. Senior President Todd Vaughn, which confirms that Mikami is set to step down from the studio that he founded. So Mikami started a lot of his uh, gaming uh, development journey at Capcom. Also spent a bit of time at Platinum Games. Uh, so Mikami uh, helped work on, like I said, the first uh, Resident Evil game uh, as a director. He worked on 2 and 3 as well. He also worked on Dino Crisis. Uh, Shinji Mikami also directed the remake of Resident Evil. He also directed Resident Evil 4. Uh, after that, he would go on to work with Platinum on games such as Vanquish. If you've never played Vanquish, holy shit. Uh, Vanquish is an incredibly underrated game. One of the most fucking buckwild uh, third-person shooters I've ever played. So when you got a list of games like Vanquish, like Resident Evil... Uh, one, uh, Resident Evil 4, um, and stuff like that, you know, that is that is a hell of a career. You know, the Evil Within games um, were obviously very much inspired by Mikami's past work with uh, with Resident Evil. Not there's anything wrong with that, um, but we've now seen a, a situation where Resident Evil has kind of out-Resident Evil, uh, Evil Within to some extent, right? You know, like, you know, for, for horror game fans and, and stuff like that, um, It'd be hard to recommend something like Evil Within 1 and 2 over, you know, the remakes of, of 2 and 3. So it kind of it kind of seemed like after Mikami uh, had founded Tango Gameworks that he could never quite. And, and this is just this is just my humble opinion. Um, I have nothing but respect for the man and his work, but it, it never quite seemed like his, his some of his horror games could 
could match uh, some of his past work. And in a case like Ghostwire Tokyo, you know, Ghostwire Tokyo was more of an open world action game with some amount of horror elements in it. And if you remember, Ghostwire Tokyo, uh, as of right now, is a PlayStation 5 exclusive because Tango Gameworks was working on and Bethesda were working on Ghostwire Tokyo uh, exclusively for Sony uh, before Microsoft bought um, Bethesda. Right. So, you know. The timeline kind of is that Shinji Mikami, about 12 years ago, Shinji Mikami uh, opens up Tango Gameworks, uh, then gets bought by Bethesda, and then some years later, Bethesda gets bought by Microsoft. So you can understand a situation where Shinji Mikami probably has a whole lot of checks to cash between being bought out by Bethesda and then being bought out by by Microsoft. So, you know, if he wants to, you know, ride off into the sunset or whatever, uh, he's going to do, um, you know, I wish him well and I wish him the best because, you know, that is a, a hell of a career. Um, I would even say it's a hell of a career just with Tango G Gameworks. Again, no disrespect to Evil Within or Ghostwire Tokyo, um, but I still think that's, you know, I, th there are those, you know what? Those are a collection of games that you can be proud of, right? Even if the Evil Within wasn't the hottest game, even if Ghostwire Tokyo wasn't the hottest game, and even if he didn't directly develop you know, Hi-Fi Rush as a director, the same way he did with some of his past games, you know, those are to release four games, uh, be bought out by Bethesda and then be attractive enough to be bought out by Microsoft as part of the Bethesda deal is still uh, a hell of a journey. Um, Bethesda has confirmed uh, the, uh, the departure of Shinji Mikami. Uh, Bethesda has a statement. They said, uh, quote, we can confirm that Shinji Mikami has decided to leave Tango Gameworks in the coming months. We thank him for his work as a creative leader and supportive mentor to the young developers on the Evil Within franchise, Ghostwire Tokyo, and of course, Hi Fry Rush. So um, there's more to it. They also say, we wish Mikami-san well in the future and are excited by what lies ahead for the tel talented developers of Tango. When I look at that, I think that Bethesda probably still sees a franchise in the Evil Within. That, or the, they're acknowledging that you know there were two, two Evil Within games. Uh, the second one seemed to uh, be a better game than that first one. Um, will we see a franchise built out of Ghostwire Tokyo and Hi-Fi Rush? It's incredibly early to tell. For, for one, Ghostwire Tokyo hasn't even made its way to Xbox and PC, you know, yet because of the one-year exclusivity. Uh, with being a PlayStation 5 game. So there are a lot of unanswered questions. What is Shinji Mikami going to do next if he's going to do anything? And what is the future for some of these Tango games? And, uh... Oh, well, there's some... There's some they kind of talked about, you know, some of the stuff that uh, Mikami has said in, in, in the past. In 2020, Mikami stated that he wants to direct one more video game project before he retires, adding that he had no shortage of ideas and weren't limited to the horror genre. Um, last year, Mikami reiterated the goal in discussion with Resident Evil, uh, Resident Evil Village producer June uh, Takuchi, uh, in which he said, something else I want to do is make my own game to make another game. Right now, we're slowly preparing for that. And to make it work, I get to give all the annoying jobs to someone else to handle. So we'll see. You know, we'll, we'll see. Maybe he's got one more game left in him. Who can say? Maybe it's not going to be a horror game. You never know. You just never know. 
Um, moving on from Shinji Mikami news, uh, Forza Horizon 5 second expansion has been announced. It, it literally just, the announcement just happened before I started this podcast, so I ran a little late um, getting the show together because I was like, ah, oh, shit, I got to add one more thing to the news. Um, I knew this was, was happening. I just wasn't sure when it was going to happen uh, in terms of announcements. But Forza Horizon's second expansion is Rally Adventures out March 29th. Uh, that is going to be a standalone, or not standalone, it's going to be a, a, a expansion. You can buy it a couple of different ways. One, you can buy the expansion pass for Forza Horizon 5, which will also get you the Hot Wheels DLC, uh, the car pack, and a bunch of other things. You can also just buy Rally Adventures if you want. Um, but Forza Horizon 5's uh, Rally Adventures seems very much focused on uh, not only Rally Cross, you know, like, you know, multiple rally cars racing together, but also Rally Racing. Now, now the difference between the two is that Rally Racing is actually, despite having racing in the name, it's more of a time trial um, style type of race where racers take turns and uh, drivers take turns um, going through this course um together and then basically best best time wins whereas something like rally cross you might have six eight whatever cars all racing you know laps and stuff like that uh to compete to see who places first i'm looking forward to it one of the reasons why i'm looking forward to it is one i have really grown to enjoy uh rally racing dirt style racing and, and all that stuff uh due to almost all of it due to the uh my enjoyment of rally racing in the forza games you know one of the things i really enjoy about forza horizon uh you know four and five specifically um those are the ones i've spent the most time with um compared to you know traditional racing games like you know a gran turismo well gran turismo has some of it but you know, um, the thing about Forza Horizon is there, you know, you can drive those those Lamborghinis on your, you know, on your race, on your race tracks, on your on your asphalt. You can take those tuner cars. You can take your muscle cars, uh, but you can also do rally racing and dirt racing with pickup trucks, with rally cars, with with with, you know, four by fours and, 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 and stuff like that. And you can really have quite a bit of fun, you know, tearing it up in the open world, of course, driving through trees and dirt and hills and stuff like that. Uh, but I really think some of the rally racing is uh, is quite smooth and, and quite fantastic in something like Forza Horizon. And I think that's what makes Forza Horizon such a beautiful game is that you not only get to experience you know, your, uh, your, your car dreams as it relates to road racing, but also your car dreams as it relates to dirt and rally racing. So to see them focusing on, uh, on rallies is really exciting. I also just straight up did not care for, um, that hot wheels DLC. I thought it was, you know, a novel idea to race on giant, you know, orange roads. Like, don't get me wrong. There is something novel to that idea. They also added some weird like g-force you know mechanic because you're doing your loops and your crazy turns and your spins and and stuff like that so they kind of uh, redid some of the physics around that stuff but if i was going to play hot wheels uh you know i would just go play that hot wheels game um i don't think taking real cars and the semi arcadey nature of forza horizon and uh, applying it to to hot wheels really made a lot of sense whereas i think you it, you, you know there's going to be a much smoother transition from you know kind of the the serious uh and and rough uh you know treacherous racing that you find in something like rally and rally cross that is out march 29th i cannot wait for that i have the expansion i have i have the expansion pass so i'll get it as soon as it comes out and i'm looking forward to playing it 
All right. This is this is news about news. Uh, due to the nature of this podcast, I record this podcast typically on around nine o'clock Thursday mornings, uh, live on Twitch, twitch.tv slash G-N-I-T-T-W-I-T-T, uh, to come out as an audio form and a video form, you know, Friday morning. And then the, uh, the video version is out uh, Friday afternoon. So what I have for you right now is kind of news about news. I wish I could have started this podcast later, uh, but uh, well, say la vie. Uh, PlayStation's State of Play returns this week with PSVR 2 and Suicide Squad reveals. The showcase will be held on Thursday and focus on third-party games. That is happening today, 1 p.m., over on Twitch and YouTube. Uh, the event will focus on updates from Sony's third-party partners, including PlayStation VR 2 reveals and an in-depth look at Rocksteady's Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. So, gosh, you know, PlayStation VR 2 is out, uh, was out uh, on the 22nd. Um, there's a bunch of games you can play, you know, like, you know, they just put out that new uh, Horizon, uh, Horizon game, Horizon Call of the Wild. Other games are getting VR to updates like No Man's Sky and like uh, Gran Turismo and, and stuff like that. So you have something to look forward to uh, for PS VR 2 uh, purchasers. And of course, 15 minutes of uh, all new gameplay uh, for Suicide Squad Kill the Just League. That is the next game from Rocksteady Studios. If you don't remember Rocksteady, it's been a while and I don't blame you. They are the team that did uh, Batman Arkham Asylum. Batman Arkham City and Batman Arkham Knight. And then, of course, you know, your your third party, you know, partners, you might get something from Capcom. You might get something from EA. You might get something from Square Enix or Ubisoft or, or something like that. Uh, but that remains to be seen. That's happening later on today, 1 p.m. We'll talk about it all next week. That's just the, the nature of the beast. So it'll be old news, but it'll be new news for the podcast. Dice. Uh, dice are the uh, they are the battlefield people, uh, for better or for worse. Dice are the battlefield people. They're also the Star Wars Battlefront people. Uh, they've made a variety of non uh, battlefield games over the years, uh, but really they are the battlefield team. Um, but maybe they're no longer the main battlefield team. Uh, Dice will be a co-developer on the next Battlefield single-player campaign. The studio is building a new team to support Ridgeline Games on the project. So Ridgeline Games is the new studio from EA. They are uh, being led by Halo co-creator Marcus Leto. Uh, I hope I pronounced that right. So basically, you know, Marcus Leto left... Uh, you know, Bungie and, and Microsoft and all that stuff to form this new studio over at EA uh, where him and his team are going to be working on a new Battlefield game. Now, what's interesting is, you know, Battlefield uh, 2048, 2042, 2048, 2042. I forget what you know what? It doesn't matter. I It does. You know what? For me, it does matter. Battlefield, Battlefield 2042. Battlefield 2042 was the most recent Battlefield game, and um, one of the things about it is that it did not feature a single-player campaign, something that, uh, you know, has not been the case uh, for some time. You know, we've seen campaigns in Battlefield 1, we've seen, uh, you know, campaigns in Battlefield 5, we've seen campaigns in Battlefield 3, we've seen campaigns in Battlefield 4, and uh, Bad Company 1 and 2, which really kind of kicked off a lot of the 
the the campaign um, focus for uh, for the Battlefield games. But with Battlefield uh, 2042, they kind of scaled it back and said, you know what, this is primarily a multiplayer focused shooter. And if you want to play the game by yourself, you can, but there is no story. There is no single player in Battlefield 2042. You are just playing the multiplayer matches with bots, or you could have friends join your game so you can fight bots and stuff like that if you want. As a result, uh, Battlefield 2042 uh, felt like a very thin you know, game. When you think about uh, Call of Duty and other shooters that are on the market, um, you know, Shooters that are on the market tend to uh, have some amount of single player story content uh, to attract people. Sometimes it is treated as a tutorial for the multiplayer and Battlefield is no exception to that. There's definitely been times where, you know, the single player story in Battlefield very much seems like it's setting you up for playing the multiplayer. Not the case with 2042 with no single player story to be had. So I think uh, that you know, Battlefield is in desperate need of some sort of reboot. My understanding is that uh, with Battlefield uh, 2042 Season 3, uh, they've kind of really revived that game to to some extent. I have not had the chance to go back and play it, but we shall see if Battlefield 2042 is still hot or not. I like Battlefield. I like, I, I, have, I have nothing against Battlefield. I just think that, um, you know... Battlefield 1 had this interesting idea where... No, was it 1 or was it 5? I think it was... I want to say it was... uh, Which one was it? Basically, they had the different, like... You were basically... Oh, and and I forget which game it was, so excuse me. It might have been 1. Where it's like, oh, in this, in this, you know, it, it was like very short, small, like four-ish level long uh, mini campaigns uh, for your single player. So it'd be like, oh, in this, in this story, you play as a pilot, right? And here's this small story that we're telling about this pilot. And then this other one, it's a different, you know, maybe theater of war or something like that. And you're playing as a tank or you're playing as a medic or you're playing as that. And again, this goes to show that, you know, they can tell stories while also trying to contextualize a lot of the gameplay to set you up for success in the multiplayer, right? You're going to be playing as a medic in the multiplayer. You're going to be driving tanks. You're going to be flying planes and all sorts of stuff on the battlefield in battlefield. Um, But I just think that uh, we have gone so far from what people, I don't even know what people want out of Like I don't know if what I want, like when, when I hear, Oh, they're going to make a new battlefield game. Like that's uh, okay. Great. Oh, they're going to have a campaign. Oh, okay. Like, it's not like the campaigns in Battlefield have been amazing before. Again, they've been at best, um, you know, you know, uh, harmless uh, and at worst, just a mindless distraction from the multiplayer. So it remains to be seen. I don't want to shit on it before it comes out. Uh, we shall see. Best of luck to the team at Ridgeline Games. And hopefully DICE can just move on to something bigger and better, uh, especially if, you know, their uh, their input on Battlefield has uh, has lessened over the years. Let's go back to Microsoft news. You know, you know, we were just talking about the uh, uh, Forza Horizon 5 news, um, but we have some other news. Uh, speaking of Call of Duty, Microsoft has announced a legally binding 10-year deal to bring Call of Duty to Nintendo platform. So Microsoft is still trying to court, you know, the, the powers that be to sign off on uh, getting that deal with Activision done. One of the ways they've tried to do it is by saying that, hey, we're not actually going to lock up Call of Duty to these other platforms. In fact, we've agreed to put, you know, Call of Duty 
on Nintendo for 10 years, on Sony for 10 years, right? Um, but now they've actually put pen to paper in an attempt to legitimize this, uh, you know, Activision deal and also to legitimize the belief and the idea that Call of Duty will remain a non-exclusive uh, game on uh, platforms outside of Microsoft's ecosystem going forward. Uh, the announcement uh, coincides with uh, Tuesday's EU hearing of the Activision Blizzard acquisition. According to Xbox firm, uh, this is all you get everything from Video Games Chronicles. Shout out to Video Games Chronicles. Uh, let's see here. According to the Xbox firm, it previously announced commitments now apparently legally binding, including releasing future Call of Duty games with full feature and content parity on the same day as Xbox should it proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard be approved. We are committed. This is a quote. We are committed to providing a long term equal access to Call of Duty to other gaming platforms, bringing more choice to more players and more competition to the gaming market. The company said in a statement, the last Call of Duty game released on Nintendo systems was the Wii U version of Call of Duty Ghosts. Remember that podcast episode where I forgot about Call of Duty Ghosts? I guess not. Everybody did. Uh, that was released in 2013 and allowed players to use the Wii remote to aim with motion controls. I don't know why I'm laughing at that. It's just it's, whatever. It's fine. Ghost is fine. Uh, the announcement coincides with the EU hearing set to take place later on Tuesday. That already happened in which Microsoft will appear in front of the antitrust officials to defend itself after receiving objections to the $69 billion deal. Microsoft uh, Call of Duty has become the biggest point of contention between regulators scrutinizing Microsoft's uh, proposed acquisition. Despite Microsoft pledging to offer Sony a similar 10-year deal to the one given to Nintendo, regulators have expressed concerns about the impact Microsoft's Activision deal could have on PlayStation's ability to compete, given that the merger would see Microsoft gain ownership of the Call of Duty series. Sony Interactive Entertainment alleges that if it were to uh, if the deal were to go through, Microsoft would have the ability and incentive to exclude or restrict rivals, including PlayStation and PlayStation Plus, from ac having access to Call of Duty. In the midterm, uh, a significant number of PlayStation users would likely switch to Xbox and or Game Pass. Faced with um, what is this? Uh, this is a another quote here. Based with weaker uh, competition, Microsoft would be able to increase console and game prices for Xbox users, including those that switched from PlayStation, increase the price of Game Pass, and reduce innovation and quality. In response to the EU's recent statement and objections last week, Microsoft told Politico it was committed to finding a path forward for the deal. Quote, uh, we are listening carefully to the European Commission's concerns and are confident we can address them, a spokesperson said. I don't know what else I can say about this deal that hasn't already been said, but, you know, putting pen to paper with some of these other companies to say, hey, you know what? Um, one of the other things that uh, is talked about is that um, Xbox has announced that it plans to bring its PC games to NVIDIA's GeForce Now streaming service, right? So now we have NVIDIA in the mix, which is maybe not the biggest player in in, in gaming, more so in graphics cards and PC hardware. Um, but now you have Call of Duty on, you know, Nintendo, right? Like, I, Sony knows that if they sign that deal with Xbox, it's done, right? So they have to keep fighting not only the urge to sign that deal to make this all go away and just, you know, accept defeat for lack of a better word 
but also find new ways to kind of kick the hornet's nest, right? You know, the more that Microsoft, you know, like tomorrow Microsoft could announce that, hey, we've signed a deal with, uh, you know, Apple, right? I'm not, I have no idea. Like, I have no clue. I don't know nothing. I'm just spitballing here. Hey, put Call of Duty on the Mac, right? Hey, we're going to put Call of Duty on iPhones and iPads. Like, I have no, I have no goddamn clue, right? Um, they could announce that they're going to run Call of Duty on TVs. They're going to announce that they're going to put Call of Duty on, you know, anything, right? They'll run it on your toaster. If they'll put it on a Samsung fridge, right? The fridge with the, like, screen on it, right? They'll put it on goddamn anything if it means that, you know, Sony gets off their back uh, to some extent. Will that happen? It remains to be seen. But until then, Microsoft's going to continue to fight to get this Activision acquisition done. What else we got for news? Elden Ring. Elden Ring, the game of the year 2022, has sold 20 million copies worldwide, according to Bandai Namco. Bandai Namco, of course, the publisher of Elden Ring. Uh, from software's title, was one of 2022's most critically acclaimed games. Uh, don't get me wrong, Elden Ring is cool. I never finished it, partially because I found it too hard and I just kind of fell off of it. But one of the most popular games of last year. Good for From Software. I tip my hat to from software for all the amazing work that they've done since going back as far as demon souls for the playstation 3 i mean uh, my favorite from game is probably demon souls but i would argue that from games from software's games there is a you could potentially end up a scenario where the first from software game that you play that you really get into ends up being your favorite or at least that's why I think that Demon Souls is my favorite. I think Elden Ring would probably be be second. Uh, but again, never finished Elden Ring. Did finish Demon's Souls. Selling a lot of copies of that video game, so good for them. Speaking of selling copies of video games, Rovio is delisting Angry Birds. <laughs> Rovio is delisting Angry Birds, saying it negatively impacts its other games. This is the second time Rovio has removed the game from app stores. What a mess. Oh, God, what a... What a mess. I don't even know. Angry Birds at one time was a very popular video game. Was at one time like the biggest video game of 2009. That was a long time ago. And since then, Rovio has tried to make a bunch of other Angry Birds games that never quite hit the same way that, you know, Angry Birds 1 did. Part of the thing that made Angry Birds 1 is that it was a fairly cheap game when it came out on iOS and Android in, in 2009. And that, uh, you know, it, it kind of justified the touchscreen on your iPhone and all of that stuff. But uh, never quite managed to hit the same highs going forward. And Rovio's experienced some issues selling their newer games because everyone just wants to go back and play old Angry Birds, which I get. I don't blame them. Here's what, here's more about the story. Rovio has announced that it's removing the Android version of Angry Birds and renaming the iOS version, claiming the popularity of the 2009 mega hit is impacting the business of its other games. The publisher removed several Angry Birds games, including the 2009 original from the app stores in 2019, claiming it was for testing purposes. It then released the original title in April 2022 under the name Rovio Classics Angry Birds. Less than a year later, after uh, less than a year after bringing the game back, however, Rovio is pulling it again, claiming its presence has impacted on the performance of its other games, many of which include lucrative microtransactions. So that's the other thing. 
you bought Angry Birds, and that was it. In these new games, they're all free to play, and they incentivize you to buy upgrades and power-ups and costumes and cosmetics and all sorts of shit, which is far more lucrative um, for uh, for them than, than you just buying the game one time. While the Android version of Angry Birds is being removed entirely, the iOS version is instead being renamed Red's First Flight, a move that has seemingly been made to make it harder to identify as the original Angry Birds and therefore less popular. That's fucking crazy. They're just going to completely remove the Angry Birds name from the... What? Oh my god. So, what you would what would happen is you would go to your iOS app store you would type in angry birds and you wouldn't see it there you might scroll down and eventually see something called red's first flight but you wouldn't be able to immediately recognize that it's the original angry birds game god that's so fucking crazy how bad must their business be that they have to like take a nosedive on their original game just to sell their new shit wow this is a quote We've reviewed the business case of Rovio Classics Angry Birds, and due to the game's impact on our wider games portfolio, we have decided that Rovio Classic Angry Birds will be unlisted from the Google Play Store on Thursday, February 23. A statement from the company reads, Additionally, the game will re be renamed to Red's First Flight in the App Store pending further review. Rovio Classics Angry Birds will remain playable on devices of which the game has been downloaded even after it has been unlisted. It added, We understand that this is sad news for many fans as well as the team that has worked hard to make Rovio Classics Angry Birds a reality. We are extremely grateful to the Angry Birds fans who have shown their love of the brand and this game from the beginning. We hope those fans can continue to bring the passion to our live Angry Birds slingshot games such as Angry Birds 2 Angry Birds Friends, and Angry Birds Journey, where our goal every day is to craft the best possible experience for players. Uh, whereas the re-releases of Angry Birds uh, cost uh, 99 cents with no microtransactions or ads, the three Angry Bird titles mentioned in Rovio statements are all free-to-play games with microtransactions and therefore likely to generate more money for the publisher. Rovio Seaman then applies that too many players were buying the 99 cent game and only playing that instead of trying the other potentially more lucrative titles, which we just talked about. Angry Birds community manager Sean uh, Buckleu, uh, I, man, I'm my bad, my bad. Explain the reasoning for the app's removal in a more explicit terms on the game's discord servers as the statement says it's negatively impacting our other games which is what we as a company have to focus on if those other games do not improve and grow then the outlook of the entire company changes it's harder to create new games or work on a new project i'm sure that's not something you would want oh god forbid god forbid that rovio make anything other than an angry birds game right they go if you type here i'm gonna do this right now just don't mind me. I'm just going to my phone. I'm going to the app store. I'm going to type in Angry Birds. Type in Angry Birds. All right. We have Angry Birds Dream Blast. We have Angry Birds 2, Angry Birds Friends. Uh, Rovio Classics, Angry Birds is still, that's still the name. We have Bad Piggies. We have Angry Birds Journey. We have Angry Birds Transformers. We have Angry Birds Evolution. Angry Birds Pop. Which I guess there's a, there's a two. Uh, Angry Birds AR. 
Angry Birds Match 3, Angry Birds Blast, Angry Birds Reloaded, which is the kind of a remake of Angry Birds 1. That's on Apple Arcade. Uh, I'm going to put this phone down. I've had enough. I've had enough. You can see where, like, this is, this, Rovio did this to themselves, man. I don't know what else to tell you, right? All they did was make a bunch of Angry Birds games. That's all they did. Like, you know, sure, in, in this Angry Birds game, you're playing as the piggies. Or in this one, you are matching three puzzles. Or in this one, it's an action RPG. Or you're the fucking Transformers. But, man, you know what's a good game? Angry Birds. <laughs> you know what? I could care less about literally every other... Actually, in fairness, I thought Angry Birds Star Wars was good and Angry Birds Space was pretty good, too. They kind of mixed stuff up with, like, the low gravity and, and stuff like that. But, uh... Yeah. What 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 a mess. What a mess. Rovio should try making other video games uh besides Angry Birds and seeing how that works out for them. Uh fuck around and find out find out that's what I say. Speaking of fucking around and finding out, Destiny 2 cheat seller ordered to pay 4.3 million dollars in damages. Um so before we get into this, let's let's talk about cheating, you know, in 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 not not in the marriage sense. I don't want to know. But let's say in the gaming sense, right? There was a time when video games were not so online multiplayer focused. And, um, you know, you could get unlimited ammo or unlimited health or, you know, infinite weapons or whatever in a video game by typing in a bunch of cheat codes and, and button combinations and stuff like that or, or, or passwords or whatever. And you weren't ruining any fun, but yours right or you weren't even ruining fun like there's you know my some of my favorite uh, moments with with cheats in games uh definitely stems from you know playing uh you know grand theft auto and you know getting you know trying to get five stars blowing up tanks with infinite rocket launchers and all that stuff but since then we now live in a world where a lot of video games are online. A lot of video games are multiplayer focused. So while games don't include cheats the way that they used to, right? There is no infinite ammo, you know, cheat that you can type in in, in Destiny 2. There are people that are trying to hack and, and modify the game, uh, you know, and basically breach that game's code, for, for lack of a better word, in order to cheat. Right. So now you end up in a situation where if people are cheating in something like Destiny 2, they're not potentially ruining their fun. They're almost certainly ruining everybody else's fun because now you're, you know, playing a competitive multiplayer match in Destiny 2 and this person is able to, you know, get a headshot, you know, and take you out quickly or, or maybe see through walls um, before and, and basically see them before they see you like just stuff that is genuinely export uh, exploiting the game. Right. So, so cheating has really changed the way, you know, we, we, we think about modifying games, you know, in this increasingly online and multiplayer focused world in this scenario, aim junkies has been found to have violated the DMCA Digital Millennial Copyright Act by bypassing Bungie's protection measures. Now, obviously, Bungie and other developers have protections in place to prevent players from cheating and exploiting the game. They can always update the game to fix issues. But this is not a scenario where like, oh, we put a cheat code in the game and now we don't want people to do it. It's like, no, you've literally modified the game or exploited the game uh, beyond what is reasonably acceptable um, in order to ruin the fun for other people. 
Uh, a judge has concluded the Destiny 2 cheat seller Aim Junkies has to pay Bungie more than $4.3 million in damages. Uh, Bungie filed a complaint back in June 2021 suing Aim Junkies and its parent company Phoenix Digital for copyright infringement. In April 2022, a Seattle federal court partially dismissed the claims, stating that Bungie hadn't sufficiently explained how cheat software constituted an unauthorized copy of its work. However, the judge did refer to the uh, arbitration, some of the other claims that weren't related to copyright, most notably claims that the software violated the DMCA's anti-circumvention provision. Bungie argued that the third-party developers, James May, who created the software for AIM Junkies, bypassed Bungie's technical prevention measures to make the cheat software and continued to do so after being caught and banned from the game by Bungie for several several times. So, you know, if you're caught cheating, they might ban you. They might, you know, uh, either permanently or temporarily, um, but they keep track of that stuff. If you're cheating in Call of Duty, they're going to catch you. They, they might catch you anyways. And punishments are going to, you know, try to fit the crime in, in, in some cases. Uh, it is argued even though May didn't work for AIM Junkies, its parent company, Phoenix Digital, was held liable because the reverse engineering was carried out to make cheating software for it. As reported by Torrent Freak, the arbitration judge has agreed and awarded a total of $4,296,222 to Bungie, which has now passed the decision to the federal court and asked to approve an associated injunction, which will stop AIM junkies from making part in from taking part in similar activities. The decision will also help Bungie in a separate counterclaim made by AIM junkies last September, where it was alleged that Bungie had also violated the DMCA by bypassing the security measures on AIM junkies own cheat software. What? How can you? What? If you made cheat software for this game, you can't then sue. Like, I'm no lawyer, but I don't think you can sue the game developer for bypassing the cheat software that was designed to cheat at the game that the game developer made. What? Voice is cracking just thinking about it. Bungie will now argue that since the arbitration results have found has found Aim Junkie software to be illegal, this claim should be thrown out. I would agree. I'd like to think that would be thrown out. That's such a fucking ridiculous thing. Uh, this has been one of many lawsuits Bungie has been involved in as it continues to protect itself from bad actors. Well, hopefully Bungie has the top Sony lawyers around to protect them from this bullshit. Let's talk uh, more Sony news. Well, Sony now owning Bungie, so I guess this counts as Sony news. Or that counted as Sony news. This definitely counts as Sony news. Uh, Returnal, the PlayStation 5 exclusive shooter Returnal, um, has made its way to PC, and it is off to a slow start. The only Sony port uh, to perform worse was Sackboy, A Big Adventure. Even Days Gone. You know Days Gone. Everybody loves Days Gone. Days Gone is everybody's favorite Sony PlayStation game. Even Days Gone has done better than, um, you know, Returnal. The roguelike shooter so far has received under 7,000 concurrent players on Steam during its first weekend, according to Steam Database. Steam Database is not an official Steam resource, but it does, uh, it does track data for Steam uh, PC players. For comparison, the only game in Sony's recent PC catalog to have performed worse is Sackboy, a big adventure, which managed to peak at just 610 
peak concurrent players. Sony's other PC ports have performed far better, with God of War leading the way at around seven, uh, 74,000 concurrent players, Marvel's Spider-Man at around 66,000, Horizon Zero Dawn at around 56,000, and Days Gone at around 28,000. Again, that's peak players uh, on uh, on this first weekend. So not total, you know, you know, purchasers of the game and not maximum unique players, just peak people playing it on opening weekend, for lack of a better word. It's worth noting that while Returnal debuted to a strong critical reception and was lauded with industry awards in the years following its release, it's significantly it's a significantly smaller intellectual property than that of God of War or Spider-Man. Returnal was released for PC earlier this week and is currently the 165th most played game on Steam in the last 24 hours. However, even some of PlayStation's larger IPs have seemingly failed to make a splash on PC so far. As Uncharted, the Legacy of Thieves collection managed to similarly low uh, managed a similarly low 10,851 concurrent players during its debut weekend, despite being a far larger IP than Returnal. Now let's talk about that. Let's talk about why Uncharted Legacy of Thieves collection uh, performed so so poorly on PC compared to Horizon or Spider-Man or Days Gone you're going to have to find a very specific type of person who wants to buy the last two uncharted games. Think about that. You're not getting uncharted one. You're not getting the uncharted Nathan Drake collection. You are getting the last two uncharted games on PC. Now in fairness, those are the easiest games to bring over to PC as they were PlayStation four games. Originally in the case of uncharted, the Nathan Drake collection, those are PS three games that were then remastered for PS4, I imagine that some of the architecture around the software design of those original games may make it a little bit trickier to come to PC. But you, like, I wanted to play the Uncharted Legacy Collection. Sorry, the Uncharted Legacy of Thieves, Thieves Collection because I wanted to play Uncharted 4, and at some point I'm going to get around to Uncharted the Lost Legacy. But, like, it's a tough sell for people. If you've never played an Uncharted game, you know, talking to somebody about this, right? Uh, I was talking to somebody about this, and and they were kind of looking at the Uncharted series being like, how do I get into it? What am I going to do? And my suggestion was you could you could play four. You could play four. And, you know, the stories of those games, um, you know, are for the most point, you know, fairly standalone. Right. You know, you might not, you know. You might not know who Sully is if you're playing Uncharted 4 for the first time or something like that as your first Uncharted game. You might not know who, um, I'm not going to name a bunch of characters, but you know, Drake and Sully and their relationship and stuff like that. Um, you might not have a full understanding of it, or at least you might not have a full appreciation of it. But to be honest, if you were to start with Uncharted 4, ah, you know, some of the emotional uh, bits around the story and the way that game kind of ends might leave you kind of scratching your head a little bit, but it's not the worst way to, you know, Uncharted 4 is a good game. You should, you should play Uncharted 4. If the option is, do I not play Uncharted 4? I think you should play it. Does that mean that you should skip the other Uncharted games? It's really up to you. You probably shouldn't start with The Lost Legacy. I'll tell you that right now. Uncharted Lost Legacy uh, is not the game uh, that you want to start your experience with. So if you're looking at those two Uncharted games as someone who's never played them and are playing them on PC, I could understand why you'd be like, well, should I start with four? I don't know. Like, I feel like I'm missing a large part of the story. Now, in fairness, I would argue that, again, Uncharted 1 does not hold up so hot. 
I think it is a fairly old and dated game, uh, even by the standards of the rest of the Uncharted series. In my opinion, you could have started with Uncharted 2 and been off to the races, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, enjoying, you know, 2, 3, 4, and, and, and Lost Legacy. But that didn't happen. They just put out 4 and, and Lost Legacy. So, again, I think it's a tough sell. I Those were the games that I wanted to be, go back and replay. I didn't necessarily want to go back and replay the original trilogy. So I can see why there'd be a scenario where some of the low player count um, occurred for that game compared to God of War, where it's like, hey, this is the God of War. This is the new, like, this is the start of Kratos's, you know, kind of reimagined journey. This is the start of Aloy's journey in Horizon. This is motherfucking Spider-Man. Actually, even in, even if, um, you know, so with Spider-Man, you have Spider-Man. You also have Spider-Man Miles Morales. Spider-Man Miles Morales is technically a sequel to Spider-Man. Should you play Spider-Man before playing Miles Morales? You absolutely do not need to. You do. You don't. You don't. Should you play Spider-Man? I think Spider-Man's a good game. You should play Spider-Man. Should you play Miles Morales? Absolutely. As a PC player, you have the choice of playing both of those games or just one of those games, getting your Spider-Man fill and going about it. But again, there is something missing with this Uncharted collection on PC, so I can understand why the sales numbers for it might have been a little bit lower. This is our final news story. I always save this type of news story for last. Um, it's also a little bit of an old news story at this point, but also the game's not out yet, so you tell me. Kenny Omega confirms the reason for AEW Fight Forever delay. The AEW star also addressed the potentially outdated roster. So oh, I'm going to get this out of the way. WWE has been the king of wrestling forever. For a very long, for mo for I'm going to say more than half of the average wrestling fan's lifetime, a uh, WWE has been the king of wrestling, right? Maybe you grew up watching WCW. Maybe you grew up watching New Japan, All Japan, whatever. You know, maybe you grew up watching Mid-South. Maybe you grew up watching, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, Stampede Wrestling, All-Star Wrestling, whatever the case may be. Even if you take those companies into consideration, there's a good chance that if you've been watching wrestling for, for, for decades... You've been watching wrestling in decades in which WWE was the top dog. So with that said, they've also kind of set the standard for wrestling games. And one of the things that their wrestling games typically experience is an incredibly outdated roster. Even if you don't take into account Vince McMahon's uh, decision to fire and hire people at seemingly random, you know, we're dealing with stars uh, and res wrestling characters that uh, their gimmicks, their characters have changed maybe since the game was being developed, right? You end up in a scenario where, uh, I'll give you an example. I don't, I can't point to a direct game, but you might have a character like Bray Wyatt. And in this version of this release of WWE, Bray Wyatt's character is actually six months out of date. Why? Because they had to finish making that Bray Wyatt character nine months ago um, before the game came out. You know, or, you know, oh, Bailey used to be a hugger and now she's not, but it's not reflective in the game. So 
it's actually a fairly common thing for some wrestling games, especially WWE games, to experience outdated rosters, whether it be absent, uh, absent, uh, you know, omissions or uh, the inclusions of people who are no longer in the company, WWE especially. That last WWE game, I want to say like a quarter of that roster is no longer with the company. Not just the outdated characters in terms of designs and character work and gimmick and looks, but also I want to say at least a quarter of that uh, that uh, roster is no longer with the company in any way, shape, or form. So it is understandable that the AEW Fight Forever uh, roster was going to be outdated. It was the moment they announced it, it was going to be outdated. The longer this game comes out, it's going to be outdated. It seems like maybe with their first attempt, you know, this will be the case. Maybe in their second game, this won't be the case. But it seemed fairly understanding going forward that AEW Fight Forever was going to have an outdated roster. So let, let's just get that out of the way. Like, it's no surprise that, you know, it's funny that wrestling games come out every year. That's not going to be the case with AEW Fight Forever. But it's funny how wrestling games like WWE come out every year and have outdated rosters. When one of the biggest reasons why people buy yearly annual releases of sports games is for the updated roster. Imagine if you played Madden or NHL and like a third of the of the of the players were just missing or out of date or on the wrong teams or whatever. They can kind of fix it to some extent, um, you know, with updates and patches and, and WWE has attempted to do some of that stuff, but not nearly to the same degree that Madden will update its roster and stuff like that, uh, you know, throughout the course of, of the game's year. So I've got that out of the way. Speaking on the Swerve City podcast, the AEW star who has had a large part in bringing the video game to life told the podcast that some of the game's content had to be scaled back in order to meet the desired ESRB rating for team. Uh, Kenneth says, I'm not too sure how much we had to scale it back, but man, I loved it. You could make the ring look like a murder scene if you wanted to. I hope there's still some way to get a semblance of that. I hope we haven't dumbed it down too much. Omega also addressed the issues of the delay, causing some of the roster to be outdated. Most notably, the game's front cover art was recently changed due to the previously prominently featured CM Punk, former AEW champion, whose status with the company is currently unknown due to a real-life bust-up with other members of the AEW roster, including Omega himself. It does suck that the rating held us back a little because we really wanted to get it out. The longer time goes by, this finished project that we have is going to be a little dated. A lot of the same people are going to be there, and there are some, uh, but some aren't. And you're going to wonder why someone I've seen on my TV for a week, why uh, it, he isn't there. But a lot of, I'm going to read that again. A lot of the same people are going to be there. And are there, but some aren't, and you're going to wonder why uh, someone I've seen on my TV for a week, why isn't he there? It's a weird quote, but whatever. The debut game from the upstart rival to WWE is being developed by Yukes, the Japanese studio previously responsible for the WWE SmackDown and WWE 2K series from 2000 to 2018. Yukes confirmed last year that it was working on a new best-in-class console game for AEW. During the game's announcement, it was revealed the genre uh, luminary uh, director of the classic fighting games WWF No Mercy and Def Jim Vendetta would also be involved in the AEW title. 
It was also confirmed in 2021, the late Owen Hart, who died in an accident at a WWF show in 1999, will make a, a posthumous appearance as a playable wrestler in AEW as part of a partnership with the non-profit charity, the Owen Hart Foundation. AEW's fight for a release date has been a constant unknown in June last year. AEW star Kenny Omega said he hoped the game was on schedule to release in 2022 when this was clearly no longer possible. The game was then set for release in February 2023. It is now we are late February 2023 and that game ain't coming out. I don't know what else to tell you. Like that game that like uh, we did this last time. I'm going to do this again. AEW pay-per-view. Just hear me out. Only AEW pay-per-view currently announces AEW Revolution. That is on March 5th. The game ain't coming out by March 5th. That's in like two weeks. Like That's in like a week and a half. That is in like, yeah, but a week and a half. Game ain't coming out in a week and a half. Will the game come out by the time the next pay-per-view occurs? Maybe. I don't know. Depends when the next pay-per-view is. We would have Double or Nothing. The next pay-per-view would technically be Double or Nothing, which... Typically happens sometime in May. We also have, uh, we could potentially see an AEW New Japan Forbidden Door 2, uh, which would probably happen about a month or so after. So, gosh, dude, who knows when this game's coming out? AEW Fight Forever, more like AEW been in development forever. I swear to God, man. It has been going on for too long, but we'll see when it comes out. We're going to take a quick break. When I come back, we're going to talk some of the games that I've been playing, including Atomic Heart, wrapped up uh, Dead Space, so I'm going to finish my thoughts on Dead Space, and a little bit of Resident Evil talk. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Glitch Report. Uh, let's talk some games. Let's talk some games that I have been playing. Atomic Heart is the big game that is out uh, this week. It is out on Game Pass, on Xbox, Game Pass on PC, PlayStation 5. Uh, it is also out on Steam. Uh, for those that are looking to buy a copy of it instead of getting it on an Xbox Game Pass for PC. And according to my Xbox uh, game tracker, when you play a game on the Xbox uh, PC app, it usually keeps track of things like how long you've been playing it for. And if I look at my current time on Atomic Heart, it says about six hours, which seems a little high. I'm probably closer to like, I don't know, or five hours uh, with Atomic Heart. I don't know where the six, uh, this is six hours and 42 minutes. I don't know where that six hours and 42 minutes came from. I feel like I'm a, a little less than that, but whatever. I've spent a good chunk of time with Atomic Heart and I'm here to talk all about it. Uh, let's, let's talk about what Atomic Heart is. Atomic Heart is a first person shooter set in alternate history in which, you know, the Soviet Russia is, is hot. The Eastern Bloc is hot, y'all, um, and they are kind of the, you know, scientific and, and technology power force of, of the world, right? Through through Soviet Russia, through communism and, and all of that stuff, um, Soviet Russia is, is hot. They got robots. They went to space, you know, before anybody else. Um, they have neural links that allow humans to control robots with their thoughts. Uh, they have something called the collective and, uh, they have this thing where you can magically inject yourself and learn whatever education. So if you want to become fluent in Korean, just ooh, stick yourself, uh, in the head or the back of the neck or whatever, um, and magically learn Korean and, and, and stuff like that. And, uh, so they are kind of the superpower of the world. You play as P3. P3 is a wounded veteran 
who's kind of returning uh, to um, to Soviet Russia. Um, they never like say they never they don't say a lot of that stuff, but it's like it is hammer and sickle type shit. OK, uh, let's just get that kind of out of the way there. So he plays this wounded veteran P3 who has, you know, basically been brought back to life through some of the uh, scientific advancements that uh, Soviet Russia has been experiencing. And you kind of owe your life to the, the scientists and to these uh, to these people who have uh, who are basically trying to change the world. Um, and you're arriving on the big announcement date of Collective 2.0, um, which is basically you're going to be able to, uh, you know, humans are going to be able to interact and control robots with their minds. Right. And, uh, and the idea being is that, you know, part of this communism is that, you know, the, the citizens are mostly going to be dedicating their time to science, right. By being able to learn whatever you want to learn and, and stuff like that, you would all be contributing to the better advancement of, of science and technology, right. You know, robots uh, are, are exist in this world. They play a major part in society. Um, you even see uh, some cool things early on in the game where it's like, oh, robots are actually training other robots. They're working on robots. So um, I remember like early in the game, I saw a robot running on a treadmill while an, while another robot was like looking at a clipboard and, and stuff like that. So it's, it's that type of shit. Um and in this world facility 3826 is the big kind of science hub where a lot of the experiments have been going on, um, where a lot of the designs have been, uh, occurring. And when you arrive, it's like, Oh, it's this big celebration parade through the streets. And then the robots go bad. Uh, when you arrive, uh, when you, when you leave the main city and arrive at, uh, facility 3826, you are shot out of the sky in your like magical, uh, a flying car and are basically forced to uh, deal with this uh, uh, remote facility that is going completely crazy with murderous robots, killing all of the scientists, destroying a lot of the experiments and, and things like that. So you as a um, P3 are tasked with your uh, magical talking glove. You have a, a part of your, you know, kind of cybernetic robotic enhancements is you have a magical talking glove named Charles who can ha allow you to cast uh, various abilities like frost uh, abilities, like shock abilities, like lightning and ice abilities and, and stuff like that. And he's also kind of like your sidekick, kind of like your buddy. Uh, and you were basically tasked by your uh, commanders and some of your, your higher ups to figure out what's going on with this robot, uh, you know, this robot apocalypse and try to stop it. Um, it is not the worst premise for a game. Like I actually think the opening sequence while a little slow, um, you know, it has a decent amount of buildup to it. Leaves me a little bit excited about, you know, what to expect. Unfortunately, since the opening of that game, uh, this, uh, this story has gone kind of nowhere for me. Like, um, one of the things that, you know, this game tries to address, eh, I don't even know if it really tries is this idea of like, Hey, if, if everything, you know, is, is, is communism and Soviet Russia and, you know, working towards the betterment of, of the cause, like, how do you feel about this idea that the cause you might've been lied to this entire time, that they might've been hiding something that maybe there were more sinister things going on in the world than you, than you expected. And one of my big problems with the game is, is the main character P3. I, his dialogue he just comes off as a jerk. Like he almost, he's such an like asshole, like 
to everybody that he meets uh, in the game that he's, in, he's incredibly unlikable. And I almost wondered like, Oh, is this like, is this like communism by way of like a Duke Nukem type character? Like, is he that thick in the head? Uh, but, but no, it's, it's not quite that he's just kind of an asshole who up to in this part of the game, refuses to accept that, you know, anything that he's been experiencing might've been, uh, you know, there might be more to what's going on, right? You know, like this is like, imagine if you played, if you were watching X-Files and at no point did Mulder ever stop to think, huh, I wonder if there's more to this. Like it, and, and he was an asshole to everybody that he met who maybe thought otherwise, like it just, the main character is missing the plot of the game, at least early on in where I'm at. And I find it incredibly frustrating. His voice acting is just kind of grating and annoying. He's just kind of a cursy asshole type guy to everybody he meets, even his, even his glove. Like you'd like to think that if I, if I had a magical talking glove, I'd be probably pretty nice to it because it'd be cool. No, not in the case of P3. P3 is a, is a real piece of work in, in that regard. Um, none of the other characters in the game address p3 the way he should be addressed like no one ever stops to say hey dude why are you such a jerk hey why aren't you like dude snap out of it like none of that stuff it just seems like everybody just kind of eats the shit that p3 feeds them over and over again um in a way that just feels incredibly frustrating like why would i want to play a game where the main protagonist is so unlikable it is a first person shooter and if i were to you know kind of use shorthand to, to compare it it is very much a bioshock uh, esque sort of game. So you have your melee weapons, you have your, um, you know, your ranged weapons, your pistols, your energy pistol, your shotgun, your assault rifle type things. And then you also have character abilities. So like, Oh, I can, you know, I have, I start with a shock ability. I can upgrade it to zap other enemies when they get close to each other, kind of like a, a lightning chain reaction or, Oh, I can uh, freeze enemies or I can potentially, um, enemies now, uh, take more damage when they're frozen. So you can kind of upgrade and build abilities around that sort of thing. Um, I don't find the actual combat to be particularly engaging. One of the problems that I've had is that since upgrading some of my weapons, my melee weapons, my shotgun, you kind of, you kind of get a melee, an ax out of the gate and then you get a shotgun and then you kind of buying and upgrading weapons as you go along. And we're going to get to the buying and upgrading weapons process in just a minute. But, uh, even after like I bought a pistol and I immediately just like upgraded that pistol. I was like, you know what? I can afford this pistol uh, with the resources I found in the world. I'm going to just upgrade it. I'm going to make it better. And I started shooting this pistol and I was like, ah, this pistol doesn't shoot very well. And it doesn't leave me with uh, a lot of excitement to continue to upgrade this. Like it kind of deflates my, my sense of, you know, uh, experimenting with the weapons. If every weapon I play with feels like crap. It doesn't leave me very excited about the idea of buying more weapons or upgrading the ones I currently have. The way that you upgrade your weapons is there are terminals throughout the world. You kind of go up to these terminals and you can both upgrade your player ability. You can buy new weapons. You can sell the weapons that you've made um, and you can buy upgrades and all that stuff. And when you first meet the, uh, the, the vendor, the, the weapons vendor, it is characterized as a woman. There's nothing wrong with, with, uh, you know, talking to a lady robot, uh, you know, terminal bridge looking thing, except the, and I don't know how else to describe this. 
your upgrade machine in the game is incredibly horny. Like, you can go, if you go over to my, um, if you go to my Twitter, if you go to my TikTok, if you go to my Instagram, or you go to my YouTube channel, I've put up a video of the dialogue between P3 and this, uh, and this uh, uh, weapons upgrade vendor. And this weapons upgrade vendor does stuff like, you know, oh, enter me hard and often and, you know, oh, being tied up or, oh, I'm too free. You know, like, you know, the, the, you know, P3 is explaining to this machine that like, hey, there's a whole apocalypse going on with robots. And she's like, oh, like these guys are too freaky for me. And, and, but you're just right. And just all this stuff. And it's just, it's just stupid. Like, I, I almost wanted to say it's gross, but I don't think it's insulting my intelligence. It's just wasting my time. Like having to sit there, you can skip through it. But I sat there for like, you know, almost, almost 30 seconds, like listening to this God awful conversation between P3 and, uh, and, uh, and this upgrade machine. And I'm like, Charles, my, my, my talking, uh, my talking, uh, glove, can you step in and explain like, what the fuck is going on? Like, why is this upgrade machine so horny? It's just, it's just weird. Um, the other characters in the game are, are nothing to write, you know, write home about, I would say. Uh, Granny Xena is like this, like, doomsday prepper, like, badass grandma type lady. And she's, like, calling you a sunny boy and all this stuff. And, like, she seems okay. Like, I would almost rather play as Granny Xena than P3. Um, but again, even Granny Xena does not address the part where P3 is kind of a dipshit. Uh, P3 also has this awful catchphrase, this awful catchphrase that I've probably heard within the, you know, within the last four hours or so of me playing the game where every time something goes up, he just, you know, goes crazy. He just, he says, uh, what does he say? He says, crispy critters. He just says crispy critters, uh, you know, like an explosion will happen. He'll say, oh, crispy critters. An enemy will just pop out of nowhere. He'll say, oh, crispy critters. And it's like, motherfucker, are you from like the mystery machine, like Scooby-Doo gang? Like you might as well be saying zoinks every time uh, something pops up and scares you. It's just a stupid catchphrase. It's, it's really dumb. I think the, like overall, even though it has a promising premise, I would say that the dialogue uh, has been pretty bad in this game up until that point. The story hasn't really gone anywhere. The main character is awful and the rest of the characters are not doing enough to, to, you know, for example, I don't think the story in Jedi, uh, Jedi fallen order is particularly exciting, but the characters themselves, like, and the interaction with these characters is, has kind of been enough to get me to see large parts of that game, more parts of that game than I probably would have seen otherwise. In the case of atomic heart, you know, I am shooting boring robot after boring robot with, with weak, wacky feeling guns. Um, I should also mention that the, the ammo is at times scarce in the game. It is not like resident evil levels of scarce. Um, but there's often going to be times where you're going to be switching between weapons quite frequently because you run out of ammo, relying more on your abilities, your, your combat and abilities. than maybe you would have thought or just spending a lot of time scrounging around looking for, for weapons and ammo. Like it, it for a game that like could just be played like a straightforward shooter, a call of duty, just running gun esque shooter. Uh, it doesn't give you enough satisfying, uh, you know, tools to play with, to make that gameplay, uh, worthwhile. I think the other thing I would say about this game is the puzzles. So 
um, you often are going to find yourself in large environments. Um, you know, in that, uh, original facility that you find yourself in, you know, there is a lot of, you know, different, uh, science labs that you're going to be entering and, and doors you need to hack and, and doors you need to unlock and key cards and all sorts of shit, right. To get into them. And one of the ways that you have to interact with the game is through these environmental puzzles. So an example of one of the puzzles is, oh, you have to collect four cylinders to open this door. Sounds like Resident Evil? Kinda. And you'll have to unlock these four cylinders, and these four cylinders all have different elemental abilities, and they are assigned these various science rooms, uh, science laboratories in which you're going to enter. So you'll enter, you know, the and you'll try to collect the hot cylinder, right? The the hot canister, whatever they call it, the fire canister. And you're and what you have to do is you go into this room and it's kind of like a boiler room uh, looking uh, environment. And basically there are these ice balls that you have to magically teleport or, or, or uh, use telekinesis to move with your hand through these various pipes that are that are that are kind of covering the room into these very various boilers to cool down the boilers um, in order to uh, unlock this, the fire cylinder and move on to your next environment. So you walk into the room and you're like, okay, I'm following the pipes. I'm looking at the pipes. Okay. Okay. This pipe leads here. Oh, this pipe's actually a dead end. This pipe actually has like a fork in the road and one of them's a dead end. One of them isn't. Oh, by the way, there's like three boilers that I have to put these ball, these ice balls into. And there's like double the amount of, uh, uh, of pipes that all lead there. So I have to be careful. I don't want to waste time going through the wrong environments. So you eventually figure out, okay, this pipe leads here. And then actually moving these balls tell you know, with your telekinesis powers through the pipes is so slow. Like it just, you're just dragging this ball for what feels like forever into the pipe and Oh, I got to make the turn. Oh, I got to go through the fork in the road. And then you finally get it into the, you finally get it into the, um, uh, get it into the, the, the boiler and P3 this P3 will the main character will say like oh my god that was so annoying or something and it's like dude like yes like you shouldn't make jokes about annoying moments in your gameplay you should just make the gameplay less annoying and of course every time you put one of the um ice balls into the boiler you get a bunch of enemies that spawn into this boiler room that you're in so you have to shoot the enemies all over again then go grab the next ball do it again shoot the enemies and it's just so tedious one of the cardinal sins that i think uh games involve puzzles uh, that aren't necessarily puzzle games can commit one of the cardinal sins is making the actual gameplay around solving the puzzle more tedious and annoying than thinking of what the solution is. If I can sit there and think about the solution, it should only take me as long to execute on that solution as it should be to actually think of what that solution is. You should not drag out the solution, uh, you know, kind of fulfilling process for lack of a better word, um, to something that is so tedious. And there are so many other times in this game where I have been like, fuck, I just wish this, I could just put the pieces together faster. Like, I just wish the game would let me just move this environment in the way I need it to move or shorten this sequence or whatever. Uh, there's a sequence where you have to go into like this hydroponics, like kind of green room. And, uh, basically you uh, are trying to collect this, you know, earth canister and the room is filled with a bunch of fans and a bunch of bugs. So what happens is uh, the fans are spinning to keep the room cool and the bugs are basically 
disrupting the fans. I, I, for some reason, I guess the fan, the bugs don't like the fans The bugs want the heat or whatever. So you are not only running around this room, um, shooting the bugs, but every now and then you have to look up at the ceiling and, uh, use your electricity power to zap the fan, to turn the fan back on. And it's like this huge room that you're running around in and, you can see it on my stream. You head over to my YouTube channel. The gameplay video is there. I have two gameplay videos up on YouTube. One that's about 18 minutes and one that's a two hour stream uh, from my time playing it yesterday. Um, plus the dialogue video is also up if you want to see that. Um, but it's just, I, the thing I like about games is when, when I have the freedom to approach it the way that I want to solve this puzzle, or at the very least the actual puzzle solving mechanics is not, uh, very tedious and I can get it done almost as quickly as I can think of it. In the case of Atomic Heart, it is not that way. So when you combine that with a story that seems to be going nowhere, a main character that is annoying that I wish would just shut up, um, and kind of a, a disappointing, uh, you know, execution on its premise, I'm not left with a lot that I like about Atomic Heart. I think it has some ideas. I think it graphically looks okay, but the part where you play it is, is not rewarding in any of the ways that games reward you for playing them. So I am definitely done uh, playing atomic heart. I'm a little disappointed in it. That's okay. I played it on game pass. So it is what it is. If you were looking for something similar to atomic heart, uh, you are definitely better off uh, playing. I don't know, like uh like a Dishonored, like a, like a Bioshock Infinite or the, or Bioshock one and two. Um, I think you're better off playing, you know, uh, what's that game called? Death loop. I think you're better off playing death loop. I think you're better off playing prey. Like there are so many other games, uh, similar to atomic heart that, uh, even if they don't have such an inspired and kind of unique twist on, you know, Oh, it's Soviet Russia, but it's crazy. I don't think that's enough. Uh, to save this game from itself. So I am done with it. Speaking of games, I am done with, I have wrapped up dead space. I was actually closer to the end than I thought. Um, I would have been a lot closer if that game didn't drag out the ending. That game could definitely benefit from being, I don't know, 20 to 25% shorter. That ending really drags out that boss battle at the end is kind of an eye roller, but the part where you have to babysit, uh, this, this item throughout the ending of the game actually kind of reminded me or like atomic heart reminded me of the tedious kind of ending sequence in, uh, in dead space. Again, I enjoyed my time with dead space for the most part. I think you're going to get more out of dead space. If you've never played it before, I think as a, like if you, as a first time experience, it's solid. I think as someone who's returning to it, not quite as exciting as I would have liked, but overall didn't mind it. Uh, you should get the chance. If you get the chance to play it and you like horror games or you like sci-fi, you should definitely check it out. I also put the finishing touches on resident evil eight. I don't have a ton to say about it, but I did want to finish resident evil eight before resident evil four remake comes out. So that is done. Um, I enjoyed Resident Evil 8, like, don't get me wrong, I enjoyed Resident Evil 8, I think, if you put a gun to my head and said, nitwit, you just played through Resident Evil 2, Resident Evil 3, Resident Evil 7, and Resident Evil 8, rank them. I might, ooh, I think it has to go, ooh. Okay, I'm going to go in order of, of like, I enjoyed all four of those games. Don't get me wrong. 
But if I were to rank them from worst, worst of the four to best of the four, I think three is probably the worst, partially because it is it is uh, the least scary and also the shortest. I would probably go Resident Evil 8 after. I think my only issue with that game is the part where they have to or they feel this need to tie it into the the rest of the Resident Evil lore and the Resident Evil world. If you had just left it at, you know, vampires and and werewolves and 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 you know gothic horror and and you know eastern european spookiness uh or 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 whatever you know european gothic spookiness i think you would have had something but the part where they're like oh and by the way here's here's what this means in the larger context of the resident evil world i'm like oh brother like it's kind of a bit of an eye roll but I really enjoyed it. You should like Resident Evil eight is a cool fucking game. Like the Gothic horror stuff is so cool to see just the way that the, you know, kind of the Southern, you know, the Louisiana swamps and stuff in, in uh, Resident Evil seven were, were super cool. Um, also Resident Evil seven takes a lot of inspiration from like the saw movies and, and, and kind of the hostile movies and stuff like that too. And I think it really works well. Like Resident Evil seven and eight are awesome games. Don't get me wrong, but eight when it's like oh and by the way here's what's going on here's what's really going on it's like oh okay sure all right something 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 you know conspiracy after that i think i think probably the second best game if i really if you really sat me down it's really tough like i think resident evil 7 is is a phenomenal game like i truly believe that resident evil 7 is a phenomenal game because it it reinvents Resident Evil in such a unique and clever way while also being exactly what you want out of a Resident Evil game. Do you want to manage your inventory? Okay, great. It has that. Do you want to uh, have limited ammo? Okay, it has that. Do you want to have to go find keys that open doors that just have more keys behind it? Great, it has that. Do you want jump scares? Do you want tension? Do you want boss battles? Do you want all of this, you know, the stuff that you come to expect? Do you want herbs? Do you want all of that stuff? Yes, great. Resident Evil has that. Uh, and it is wrapped in such a uh, violent and 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 disturbing a uh, first person experience like oh my god like resident evil 7 is a fucking phenomenal game um because it is it is not only an incredibly faithful resident evil game but it is also unlike any other resident evil game that came before it and that's what makes it so exciting i think i'm probably gonna rank resident evil 2 as probably my second favorite of them and then i uh, sorry resident evil 7 at uh, resident evil 7 as my second favorite i think resident evil 2 has to be my favorite because it is it is it is on um how would i describe it it is unapologetically resident evil from from top to bottom right it has it has your zombies it has your raccoon city it has leon it has claire it has you know all of the stuff that Resident Evil originally was. And if what you are looking for is a traditional Resident Evil experience um, from top to bottom, look no further than Resident Evil 2. Resident Evil 3, of course, very much uh, like um, like Resident Evil um, 2 in, in that regard. Your zombies, your 
liquors, your your all of that stuff, uh, your your Raccoon City and shit. But again, I think it's not that scary, and it is a little short um, in the grand scheme of things. Um, and that's why I think I would almost recommend Resident Evil Seven and Eight before Three, only because only because. It's just, it's amazing what switching to first person, changing up the tone, changing up the location, changing up uh, the characters does for Resident Evil while still being a faithful Resident Evil game. Also Resident Evil 7, and I would even say 8, um, in first person, it is scary as fuck, dude. Like, seeing that horrible, gnarly shit in first person up in your face is definitely scarier than uh, in third person in, in Resident Evil 2 and 3. But again, I think Resident Evil 2 is the most faithful and best version of Resident Evil that you could possibly uh, ask for. And as a result, I think if I were to rank them, going into my time with, uh, you know, next month when Resident Evil 4 comes out, I would say currently as I've ranked them from uh, from best to worst, it would go 2, it would go 7, it would go 8, and then 4, uh, sorry, two, uh, 2, 7, 8, and then 3 uh, from best to worst. Looking forward to seeing how Resident Evil 4 stacks up. That's out later this month. Uh, sorry, later uh, later in uh, March. Looking forward to that. Um, speaking of out later this month, Destiny 2 Lightfall is out next week. That is out on Tuesday. Uh, yeah, that's out Tuesday the 28th. So I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, what Destiny uh, Destiny 2 has in store. I have not played Destiny 2 in, gosh, I probably haven't played Destiny 2 in like a month now which is a long time i'm not necessarily like jonesing to get back to destiny 2 at large but i am very curious to see how it shakes up yeah i've not played destiny 2 since uh gosh i've played destiny 2 since january 15th it has been a while so i'm looking forward to seeing what that new uh, expansion has in store checking out the new ability checking out the new story and all of that stuff and then of course uh later next week woe long final dynasty is out march 2nd so between destiny 2 lightfall and woe long final dynasty i got a lot of games to play it's a good thing that i am done with atomic heart because i'm gonna have some free time to play some games starting next week that is going to do it for the podcast. I have been Nitwit. Find everything that I do over at my Linktree, linktree.com slash G-N-I-T-T-W-I-T-T, Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, all of that good stuff. Check out my TikTok. Check out my Instagram reel. Check out my YouTube short. If you want to see some examples of that god-awful dialogue and voice acting in Atomic Heart, go check out my TikTok, my Instagram reel, or my YouTube short. If you want to see a quick play, uh, some quick gameplay of uh, Atomic Heart, I have an 18-minute video up now on my YouTube channel. And if you want to see something a little bit longer that I think shows off more of the, the tedious gameplay nature of Atomic Heart, definitely go check out my uh, Twitch stream from yesterday or the the archive of it is up now on my YouTube channel. Come on back tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. We're going to play some games. Uh, I don't know what games we're going to play. I know that there is a new update for No Man's Sky. Not only did No Man's Sky, I guess we're not really ending this podcast, not only did No Man's Sky receive an update uh, for PlayStation VR 2, but it also added a bunch of new shit to No Man's Sky. So maybe it's time to get back to No Man's Sky. The Fractal update is going... Uh, uh, is is up now. What do they even include? Uh, it's a PlayStation VR 2 focused patch. It's overhauling how the game plays on VR headsets. Uh, it's also allowing you to move your personal force field with non-dominant hand to more easily block enemy attacks. I guess that's in uh, uh, in the 
in the VR mode. Uh, new controls for more intuitive in VR. Um, HDR lighting. They, so they've increased. They've made better graphics. Uh, they're also adding some tweaks to the Switch version. Uh, it has been seven years since No Man's Sky came out. Oh, also bigger menu text. Bigger menu text in uh, in the game. So now, if you're playing No Man's Sky, um, you are gonna have bigger text in the screen. All right, we're probably gonna play some No Man's Sky uh, tomorrow. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, come on back tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for more streaming. I've been Nitwit. This has been Glitch Report 33 in the bag, baby. We'll see you next time. Take it easy.